We're heading on to Mark chapter 5. So if you've got your Bibles, if you want to open up to Mark chapter 5. Who read it this week? It's a good chapter. I got really excited when Matt asked me to preach. And then when I realized it was Mark chapter 5, I was even more excited. This is a great chapter of the Bible. It's a chapter that's broken up into three different parts, three different stories or three different testimonies. There's a testimony of Jesus casting the demons out of the man and putting them into the pigs. And then the pigs run off into the water and they die. And then there's the testimony of the woman who has the bleeding issue that is healed when she touches Jesus' cloak. And then there's a testimony of Jesus uh, healing, kind of slash raising Jairus' daughter from the dead, even though he said he was asleep, but she was dead. But, you know, anyways, those are the three stories. And I'm, I'm really excited. I mean, it's so good just to, to dive into God's word and, and, and to read about the, the stories of Jesus, you know, like, because when we look at Jesus, you know, so many things just fall into place. We, get, we gain a greater understanding of what the kingdom is and, and, and how we should live our lives. And I'm really, really excited. So we're going to start off, we're going to read through the whole chapter actually today. It's only, it's only 43 verses. We're not going to read every verse. But let's start off with the first story. And so in verse 1 it says, Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of Gadarenes. And when he had come out of the boat, he immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs and no one could bind him, not even with chains because he had often been bound with shackles and chains and the chains had been pulled apart by him and the shackles broken into pieces. Neither could anyone tame him. And always night and day, he was out in the mountains and in the tombs crying out, cutting himself with stones. But when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshiped him. And he cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. I think that's really powerful. That's really, really powerful. I'm going to read verse 7 again. And he cried out with a loud voice, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. You know, what that lays out is that there's this man and and he's been kicked out of his town. He's been cast out because he's possessed by demons and and he can't be tamed. He can't be chained. You know, he's probably broken out of jail a few times, broken the chains on his hands. And he's a person that he's in a situation where where he's lost control. He's in a situation where where his circumstances are dictating his life and and he's being controlled and and he's being taken over. And here Jesus comes out of the boat and he, and he walks up and, and immediately the man sees him and he runs to him and he falls at his feet and he says, what have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I implore you by God, do not torment me. You know, I love, there's a little illustration here that I want to make. I love that because there's this, as I said, there's this man with an impossible situation, but as soon as Jesus is brought into it, it, it bows down at the feet of Jesus. You know, and, and today I, I really want to hit reading through this chapter. I, I really believe this is something that God really told me to press into. And it's this statement that nothing is impossible with God. Therefore, there is no person or situation beyond his ability to bring complete restoration. And, and that is really highlighted here in verse, in verse 7. Because there is a man that has a, a situation that seems impossible. Chains cannot hold this man. He's been cast out of his town. He lives by himself in the tombs. He's tormented day and night, scratching at himself. And yet his problem still bows at the feet of Jesus. Because in verse seven, it's not the man that's actually talking. 
It's the spirit that's inside of him. And the spirit recognises the power and the glory of God. And it goes on in verse eight to say that Jesus then said to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And then Jesus asked the man, what is your name? And he answered, my name is Legion for we are many. And he begged him earnestly that he would not send them out of the country. How crazy is that to think that a, a, a spirit, that a demon would beg Jesus to not send them out of the country. Like, that's just a crazy thought. I was dwelling on that this morning, just reading over this again as I was, just, as I was finalizing my notes. And I was just thinking, man, the devil is so afraid of Jesus. Darkness is so afraid of Jesus. And, and to think that we have Jesus inside of us, that same light that Jesus carried when he walked on the earth, the same authority that he had to cast demons out of people, to, to raise the dead, to heal the sick and the lame is inside of us. It's crazy. We have the ability to make darkness bend at our feet because of the Jesus that's inside of us. And it goes on to say, now there, there are a large herd of swine that were feeding near the mountains. And the demons begged Jesus saying, send us into the swine that we may enter them. And at once Jesus gave them permission. And then the unclean spirits went out and they entered the swine. There are about 2000 of them. The herd then ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. Now those who fed the swine fled and told in, in the city and in the country, and they went out to see what it was that had happened. Then they came to Jesus and saw the man who had been demon possessed by the legion, and he was sitting there clothed and in his right mind. They were afraid. That'd be a pretty scary thought. You know, the herdsmen, they're looking after their sheep and then all of a sudden their sheep go crazy. You can imagine it would have been like mayhem. They're trying to round up the flock and, and then their sheep are just running in all different directions and they run into the sea and man, it, it would have been a worse nightmare, you know? And, and then they come down and they see this man who they know chains haven't been able to bond him. They know that he screams out day and night. They know that he's been cast out of the city and, and they see him sitting there at peace in his right mind, clothed. But isn't that the power of the gospel? Isn't that the power of Jesus to take a situation that's completely, completely out of hand and restore it into its right place? Verse 16, and those who saw it told them how it had happened to him and how the demon-possessed man and about the swine and how legion was cast into the spine. And then they said, and they began to plead with him to depart from their region. And when he got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged Jesus that he might be able to come with him. However, Jesus did not permit him. And he said to him, go home to your friends and tell them what the great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. I'm gonna read verse 19 again. He said, however, Jesus did not permit him to come with him. And he said, go home to all of your friends and tell them what the great things that God has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. And then today, there may be some people in the room, myself included, that in your life, you, you have a situation that may seem impossible. And, and you may be in, in the midst of a storm or you, you may be you know, needing finances in an area or you may be needing restoration in a family in an area. And there, there is such power in, in putting Jesus at your center in the midst of everything. And, and Jesus here, he delivers this man and then he tells him to go home and to tell your friends of all the great things that God has done for you because he has shown compassion for you. And this man, he has an opportunity now being set free by Jesus, removed from his impossible situation. He now has authority over where he once was. 
You see, that's a, that's a great thing that I love about Jesus and, and about what He does. He doesn't just restore us, but then He gives us authority over the things that we have overcome. The places where we have our victory, the places where we have our triumphs are the places that we now have authority to lead people into. You know, they always say about, there's a term that I've always heard when people talk about leaders or, or, or specifically about worship leading. You know, they say that you can't lead a congregation to a place that you haven't been. And with this, Jesus is saying to this man, go home and tell of all the things that I've done because he, he has come from that place and now he has authority to go back and, and to be able to minister to other people and help other people step into freedom because he has had Jesus work inside of him. And then it goes on to the next story. That, that's the end of that story. And there's a, little, there's a little block where it's talking about how Jairus comes up to Jesus and, and pleads for his daughter. That's the title that I have in my Bible. So Jesus gets back in the boat and he crosses back over to the other side of the river. It says in verse 22, if you want to read on, it says, And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came. His name was Jairus. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet. He begged Jesus earnestly saying, my little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she will live. So Jesus went with him and a great multitude followed him and they thronged him. The word thronged, I didn't know what that meant, but it just means that there was like a large crowd around him that were like jostling around and they were like, they probably heard that Jairus, the synagogue leader had come up and been like, Jesus, my daughter's nearly about to die. Can you come and pray for her and heal her? And the crowd's like, oh, there's going to be a miracle. Let's follow Jesus and watch the miracle, you know. But that, that's a really cool thought in itself, you know. That creates an atmosphere of faith. Because these people, uh, I don't know if they were the 72 that had followed Jesus around or they were just random people in the city or they might have been people who had heard about what just happened with the, the man that was set free from being possessed by demons. But these were people that, that they believed that Jesus could actually do that. They believed that Jesus could heal someone that was at the point of death. And, and by following Jesus, they were creating this atmosphere of faith. They were like, yeah, like this is something that's going to happen. This, this is a miracle that's about to happen here. Let's go see this miracle because we want to see someone set free. And whilst they were along the way, going on to verse 25, it says, Now a certain woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years, and had suffered many things from many different physicians, she'd spent all the money that she had, and she was no better, but rather grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Now, I, I did some study into that. And so the certain flow of blood, I, w- I was studying into like the, the Jewish history and stuff like that. So it, a, a woman that is, that is like uncontrollably bleeding, she's actually an outcast of society. She's placed on the level of lepers and cast out. She's not allowed to be in the city. She's ceremoniously, ceremonially, yeah, ceremonially unclean. Thanks, Kelly. That's a really tough word to say. Yeah, so she's ceremonially unclean and, and she's not allowed to touch anyone. And the, anyone that she does touch, whether man or woman, they become unclean too, to the same level that she is within society. So this lady, she's not allowed to be where the people are. She shouldn't be there at all. She, she should be out on the outskirts of town, outside the gate where the lepers are, but she's not because she has faith in God. She has faith in Jesus. She hears about Jesus and she's like, I need that. What he has, what, what Jesus has, he has the power and I need that. And there is, such a, there is such a desperation for God in that, 
that I really found that blew me away that, that she would come into the town and, and risk her life in a sense because she's not allowed to be in there. It's, it's against the law. She's breaking the law being in there. And, and so she comes in, she risks, she risks so much because she just needs one touch from God. And, and she thinks, maybe if I just touch his cloak, maybe if I can just get one touch of his garment, I don't need him to pray for me. I know I will be made well. And immediately after touching his garment, she felt in her body that she was healed and the fountain of blood dried up and she was healed from affliction. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that the power had gone out from in him, turned around to the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, you see the multitude thronging you and you say, who touched me? You know, I bet Peter, James and John, they were thinking like, man, has Jesus been like turning some more water into wine or something? Because like, there's probably like a hundred people around him all like jumping into him and stuff. And, and he's probably thinking, they're thinking, how could he know someone touched him? There's been hundreds of people touching you in the last like five minutes. But Jesus knows. You see, there's something really cool about that because I think God sees the desperation of your heart. You know, Matt, Matt said before that God doesn't look at the outside as man does, but he looks at the desperation of the heart. And Jesus being fully God, fully man while he walked on the earth, I think he knew that the person who had touched him had a desperation in her heart. She was longing for something. And that's why I think he knew that it was her that had touched him. There was a difference in that person touching him compared to the rest. And so he looked around to see her who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him at his feet and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed by your affliction. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed by your affliction. There's two differences here between the first story and the second one. In the second story here, this woman knowing her situation, knowing that she's been to doctors, she's been to physicians, she, she's tried everything. She's spent all her money and that her condition has only gotten worse over time. She had faith in God and, and she knew that if I could just get one touch, maybe I can get healed. She knew that if I can touch his garment, then I will be healed. And in the first story, we have a man who is completely unaware and unable to control himself and, and doesn't know what's happening. And he comes and the demons say, God, like have mercy on us, send us into the pigs. There's two differences here because the woman is crying out and she has faith in God, knowing her situation. And then the first man, he's in a situation where he doesn't know what's going on. And in the third story in this chapter, it's Jairus that has the faith and is pleading for his daughter. And what that highlights to me is that no matter where you're at, whether you have faith for something, whether people are contending for it for you, or you're in a situation where, where all hope may be lost, God still moves. God can still move. There's still an invitation and, and God will still move. Whether, whether you're putting your faith in it, whether people around you are praying for you and, and they're praying for healing, or whether you're just like, God, I got, I got nothing left. How cool is that to think though? That no matter where we are at, God is still wanting to move in our lives no matter what our circumstances, no matter how much faith or trust we have, God is still wanting to move. That's a really cool thought because I know that there are times that in my life, there are some days where I'm like, man, I just, God, I just, I'm tired. 
you know, I, I, like over the last couple of months, I've, I was working night shift every third week and I, I would wake up from working night shift and be like, man, like I just want to lay in bed all day. You know, I just want to be unmotivated and do nothing and, you know, and then I'd be like, God, like just, I, I need you a little bit more today. And then there were times where I was like super fired up and ready to go out and just to do stuff and to just pursue life and to pursue everything that was around me. And I'd be like, yes, like God, like, like today's gonna be a good day. You know, the days that you wake up and the sun's shining and you hear the magpies crowing at 7 a.m. And you know, like those are the good days. And you're like, yes, God. And then there are days where when, when you're around other people and you know, you're, you're with your family and your friends and, and you may not be feeling it so much, but they're feeling it for you. And they're like, come on, like, Nath, this is gonna be a good day. Like, you know, God is, God is in every one of those situations. You know, because I like to think of it that God doesn't really look at our situation. You know, someone prayed in prayer this morning, I'm pretty sure, they were, they were saying, God, you have an answer before we even have a problem. You, you have a solution before we even need one. You know, he doesn't look at the circumstance that we have, have around us. He has an answer. And that's Jesus. Always has been and always will be Jesus. Back in the Old Testament, you, you read prophecies about Jesus coming in the future and how that one day, even Zephaniah, it's a thing for the time of Jerusalem, but it's a prophecy saying like, you have a day that is coming where you will be completely restored. Jesus has always been the agenda and he always will be the agenda because he is the way, the truth and the life and he is the way to enter the kingdom of God. And it's so cool that we get to study him. We get to read about him. We get to read about the things that he does and the things that he's done. This gospel is eternal. These stories may have happened 2000 years ago, but they're so relevant to our lives today because we can take so many things out of it, whether it be the lady who had the desperation to go and just get one touch of God or the father who comes and pleads for his daughter. There's so much that we can grasp out of that, that we can hold on to, knowing that the God of yesterday is the God, same God of yesterday that he is today and he will be tomorrow. Going on, um, let's head down to verse 35. And while he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who had said, Jairus, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? And as soon as Jesus heard that word that was spoken, he said to the rule of the synagogue, don't be afraid, only believe. The audacity of Jesus, eh? Like, here's a man, here's Jairus. He's just had one of his co-workers, one of his pupils, one of his elders come up to him and say, hey, Jairus, don't bother Jesus anymore. Your daughter's dead. It's done, mate. There's, it's over. And Jesus says, hang on a second, don't be afraid, only believe. How about God, eh? Like, that just makes me think like, wow, like, come on, Jesus. You know, like, he, he says, don't be afraid, just believe. He's a situation that is impossible. As of this time, no one has ever been raised from the dead. This is before Lazarus. This is, this is before Jesus himself was raised from the dead. And he's saying, hey, mate, Jairus, just take a chill pill, man. Like, don't be afraid. Just, I've got it. I've got you, man, you know? The faith that he has knowing, see, that's just, in my mind, and when I think about that, that's where I want to be. 
I think that's, that's what we are called to be. You know, when we talk about like assuming the identity of a son and daughter of God, just as Jesus was when he walked on this earth, that we become more and more like him. I, I wanna get to a place where I have a situation that is dead, that is impossible, that there's no way, there's no natural explanation that there's no scientific proof, as Sam said, there's nothing that can happen. But I wanna be like, Nath, don't be afraid, believe. God's got it. I think that's such a cool place that one day, I know one day that I will get there. I know one day that we all have an opportunity to get there because Jesus was there. So why can't we be there? So he says, Jairus, man, don't be afraid. Just believe. And he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And then he said, they came to their house, the rule of the synagogues, and saw a tumult and those who wept and wailed loudly. And when he came in, he said to them, why make this commotion and weep? The child was not dead, but she is only sleeping. Once again, the audacity of Jesus in that moment to come up to people who think that they've lost their daughter, to come up to people that think that they have lost their niece, lost their friend. And he says, hey guys, it's all right. She's just asleep. That's just so cool. It is so cool. It, it gives... I don't know about you guys, but it just stirs something inside of me that's just like, heck, I don't care what I'm facing. I've got Jesus, you know? My situation may seem way out there, but it's just sleeping. I can call it back to life because of the Jesus that's inside of me. You know, there's this illustration that I don't remember when I got taught it. I don't remember anything. I will, sorry, let me say that again. I remember a lot of things, but I don't remember when it got taught to me, but it's actually like a, a really cool thing and it's really powerful and, it, and it's really similar to this. You know, often in life, there are times that everything's up against us. And so let's say my Bible is our situation and our circumstances going on. And very often we can let our circumstances be directly right in front of our face. And when I have my circumstance here and when I have my problems right here in front of my face, I can't see past this Bible at all. I can't see past it. But the way that Jesus views things and the way that he views things right here in this, in this chapter and specifically in, this, in these verses where he says, don't be afraid, just believe. The circumstance isn't right here in front of his face. Because once you pull this Bible back and place your circumstance here and gain perspective, you can see all around it. You can see everything. You just have to bend a little bit and look over the top of it, but you can see everything. And that's a way that I fully believe that we should view our circumstances. And, and that's what I really think Jesus was trying to say here to these guys. He's like, you know what? It may seem like your back's up against the wall, but pull it back a little bit and just watch me do my work. Watch me do my thing. And it goes on to say, and they laughed at him to scorn. But when he had put them all out, he took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him and entered where the child was lying. He took the child by the hand and he said to her, Talitha Kumi or Talitha Kumai or how do you say that? I don't know. How do you say that, Melissa? Do you, you don't know? All right. The Bible scholar doesn't know. So we'll say Talitha Kumi, which is translated to little girl, I say to you arise. And immediately the girl arose and walked and for she was 12 years of age and they will overcome with great amazement. Little girl, I say to you, arise. It's that simple. There's no, 
method. There's no like, oh heck, we have to say this in the prayer, that in the prayer, that in the prayer, and then say amen at the end. Jesus just was like, hey, little girl, get up. And that can often be read as like Jesus, like, oh, just get up, you know? But I think it's really powerful because I think Jesus fully understands that it's not about what is said. It's not about what prayer he prays. It's about that he knows that he has the resurrection power inside of him. And he just says, hey, wake up. Hey, situation where finances aren't there. I believe that God calls you to have finances. So like in Jesus' name, like I will have money. Or with family members, like say for instance, as if you have a family member that is away from God, call them home. Be like, hey, Max, you're a child of God. Hey, Max, the way that you're living right now isn't the way that you were born to live. Hey, Max, this anxiety that you're feeling, that isn't kingdom. Max, you are called to have peace. It says in 2 Timothy 1.7, for God has not given you a spirit of fear, but a spirit of sound hope and love and a sound mind. I said that really poorly, but you know the verse. There is no ABC. And that's what I, that's what I love about this, this chapter, is that there are three different miracles. There are three different stories. There are three different things that happen. Yet in each one of them, Jesus didn't pray. And now I'm not saying that you shouldn't pray because prayer is very vital here. Prayer is a vital part of your life and you should have a secret place and everything like that. But I'm just saying like, maybe it's time that we start thinking outside the box. Maybe it's time that the methods and the things that we've learned and you know, the, the way things are done, maybe it's time to, let's, let's take a look at Jesus. For the demon-possessed man, he gives us the, the demon's permission to leave the man. For the lady who was made well, he didn't even pray. He didn't even say anything. And for the little girl, he just says, hey, arise, wake up. Isn't Jesus cool though? <laughs> Isn't Jesus cool? He was pretty busy in this chapter too. It's a pretty good day if you ask me. <laughs> I mean, I'd love to have a day where, you know, we're in ministry and you see someone demon possessed set free and then someone who's had an issue for 12 years healed and then raise someone from the dead. I mean, heck, that's, that's a pretty cool day. But there's an invitation. You know, everyone knows the Great Commission. All, all three, Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, all four, sorry. There's a great commission at the end where, where it's said that we should go into all the world and we should preach the gospel at all times, that we can do even greater things than Christ did on this earth, that we are called to raise the dead, heal the sick, cast out demons, heal the lepers, set people free, set the captives free. That is the bare minimum in our lives. And that's, that's really scary. I mean, to, to live a life fully surrendered to the Holy Spirit and to live a life fully surrendered to the will of God and knowing that like that there are so many people in this world all around us I I bet you could pick five people in your life right now that need God that don't know God heck I have so many friends that don't know and experience what I experience and my heart breaks with them it does and at all costs I share I share I share even last night I I was with my mates at my place, like one o'clock in the morning. And, you know, like we were just hanging out before I had to say goodbye to him. Not going to see him for uh, nearly a year. And I still, I felt like I should share the gospel with one of them. This is a guy who grew up a Christian, kind of walked away from God. And he just, he's like, Nath, like, how do you do it? Like, you know, how do you 
play footy? How do you like hang out with the guys? How are you normal? How are you normal by what the world sees normal? But then you have this amazing relationship with God and you travel the world and you pursue God. How do you do that? And I said, dude, it's because I'm so in love with Jesus. I'm so in love with this truth. I'm so in love with this message. It, it has formed me. It has changed me. It is my foundation. And, it, and it's all of yours too. But I just, I, I really wanted just to, to challenge us to challenge myself as well. Heck, this is challenging me. To challenge us today that as a body, uh, as a community, as a church, as a family, as an army, that we have an opportunity to take up our sword, to take up our cross and to go out. Just as Sam said, pray for opportunities. God will give them to you. He'll give you more than you ask for, <laughs> especially when it comes to sharing the good news, especially when it comes to praying for people for healing. God will give you more opportunities than you could ever need you'll be swamped with opportunity. And you know, you may pray for people and nothing may happen or you may share and they may throw it back in your faces, that's happened. But that's just irrelevant because it's about the heart and it's about that relationship with God and going out for Him. There's so much power in us believing what's, what's in there, what's in this book. There is so much power in us drawing on these testimonies. I love that we're going through the book of Mark. Mark's probably, oh, Mark's like top two in the four gospels for me. <laughs> I was gonna say Mark's my favorite gospel, but I really love John. I love John. It's so, John's incredible. If you ever wanna like get a kick out of John, get the passion translation of John and read it. It will, you'll weep. John, just amazing book of the Bible. Mark's my second favorite gospel. <laughs> Not that favorites is like a, anything, it's just a personal preference. I really like Mark. Matt, Matt shared when we first started this series that Mark's really good because he just gets to the point. You know, there's no messing around. Mark's just like bang, bang, bang. It's all over the place. It's a mess, but it's there. But man, the truth, the stories, the testimonies, to be able to pull on those things. You know, in Revelation, it says that the testimony is the spirit of prophecy. And the gospels are testimonies and they are the spirit of prophecy. You know, and, and when we read these, as I said, when we read these, it just stirs something inside of me because when you think of prophecy, when you think of like testimonies, I just think like, do it again, God. The, the saying that the testimony is the spirit of prophecy, I just think, do it again. That's what I think it means. It means, hey, you cast demons out of someone, Jesus, awesome, let's do it again. And not to take that lightly, but you get what I'm saying. That we can do it over and over and over again. You know, and in school, we had this week where it was like one of the first weeks of January and we were a part of this conference and it was called the School of Healing, School of Healing and Impartation. It was run by a guy called Randy Clark. And he came in and for a whole week, we just talked about miracles. We talked about crazy miracles. We talked about everything. We talked about times when he would pray for people and they didn't get healed and, and times when he would pray for people and they'd all get healed. And we just listened to him share his life experience, walking in God, chasing after healing. And on the final night, you can imagine after a week of talking about miracles, the atmosphere in the room is just buzzing because everyone's like, Jesus heals, like we're going to see miracles. Like it's just really, really like up there, you know? And come to the last night, the Friday night of the conference, he gets this video up on the big screen 
And so there's first year students in the room and then there's also conference attendees um, that aren't students like me and Lisa. And he plays this video and it's this video of a lady and she had metal in her knee and wasn't able to bend her knee and had walked on crutches for 20 years. They prayed for her. The metal, like you can't see it, but like the metal dissolve, the metal has to dissolve in her knee because she's able to bend, run, jump. There's no pain, anything at all, doesn't need crutches. And Randy says before they put the video on that he often finds that miracles happen and miracles take place while the video is being played. And he says, it's a weird thing, but it happens. And he says, you know why it happens? Because the testimony is the spirit of prophecy. And when we record testimonies, and he said, when they play testimonies over and over again, it creates an atmosphere in the room of healing. Because playing that testimony out, seeing that miracle happen and take place, there are people in the room that may have the same problem and they're like, oh, it happened to her, it can happen to me. And that little seed of faith, God acts on it. You know, because in Matthew, it says the faith of a mustard seed can move a mountain. That little seed of faith, God moves on it. While we were in Haiti as well, I, just, I really just wanted to share testimonies at the end here. Because, you know, last time I preached, I didn't really share too many testimonies. And I, God just did so much while I was overseas. And this chapter five is about testimonies. And I just wanted to share testimonies with you guys, if that's all right. Because I just want to create an atmosphere of faith in this room. Because I believe there are people today that may not be feeling so great, that may have problems or injuries or circumstances that seem impossible. And I really believe that God wants to alter the course of your day. Dave, this morning, I'm going to put you on the spot here, Dave. I'm not going to get you to share, but I'll share what you shared. Dave had a picture during pre-service prayer. And he said, God showed him a picture of a car battery and all you could see was the negative terminal. And then God said to him, hey, Dave, turn the turn the battery around and what's on the other side, the positive. And I fully believe that God wants to change the perspective this morning in people's situations where it goes from being a complete negative to an absolute positive because the answer is but God. The answer is always but God because Jesus died on the cross and our answer is but God. So anyways, we were in Haiti. This was on my missions trip during school and we had just an incredible time. Absolutely like incredible time. I've never seen outpouring of miracles like that in my life. When you see stuff, it gives you the, the faith to know that it can happen again. And I saw some crazy miracles over there. There was this one day where we had just, we went into this huge marketplace area, like hundreds of people just walking in and out of the market and there's people screaming like all in Haitian language and it's just chaos, absolute organized chaos. And we go into this massive rotunda thing and we have a megaphone and our team and I have my guitar and we start singing praise and worship songs. And of course, all the Haitians like start gathering around because there's, there's 15 white people in the middle of this marketplace and there's no other white people anywhere. And so they're like, oh, let's go watch the white people sing and dance. So we're all singing and dancing and you know, we're, we're drawing as many people in and we've got a, our translator on the, the microphone, the megaphone, sorry, saying like, everyone come over here, come and watch white people dance, come and watch white people sing. You know, because they don't know what we're singing about. Like we were singing, we were singing like praise and worship songs. We were, we were worshiping God. We weren't just dancing. We were full blown like worshiping God in like 35 degrees heat, 90% humidity, sweating buckets. Like I had a gray top that was not gray by the end of playing the guitar, just to give you guys a visual of what it was like. And so we draw this huge crowd in. 
Then one of our team members gets up and he preaches the gospel and like they translate the gospel and we start saying like, does anyone need healing in their bodies? And we start going after healing and just person after person after person just like came up with, we, we prayed for two and a half hours. I mean, teams of like, there was 15 of us and we had four translators and we broke into teams and we were just praying hard out because like there were just so many people that needed healing. And I remember there was, there was this one lady and this just wrecked me. There was this one lady, she was really, really old and really, really frail and fragile. And she came up to us. She's like, she said to the translator, like I have a lump on like my breast and like it's been there for a while and I need healing. And then because, you know, we're in a third world nation, she like had, she was wearing a dress and she like pulled her shoulder off and showed us a lump on her breast. And we were like, whoa, like, you know, that wasn't expected to happen, but you're in Haiti, you just learn to go with the flow, you know? So we got to see the lump and it was a pretty decent sized lump and there was no way to diagnose it, but we assumed that it was cancer or we assumed that it was a tumor. And anyway, so we, there was uh, me and a couple of others and we prayed for her and we prayed for her and we prayed once and uh, asked if she felt anything or anything that changed and nothing. And then we prayed again. We were like, God, like just, we, we know that you can dissolve anything. We know you can dissolve tumors. We know that nothing is impossible for you. You can cast leprosy out of someone. You can cast demons out of someone. We know nothing's impossible. And we were just calling on God. We were contending just as Jairus contended for his daughter. Just as he came and knelt at the feet of Jesus and just begged, please just come to my house. Please come and pray for my daughter. We were doing the same for this lady. We were like, God, just please let your healing touch fall right now. Nothing the second time. Third time, nothing. Fourth time, nothing. By the fourth time, you know, you, you're kind of getting it. You're like, okay, God, where, where, where are you working right now? Like, what are you doing? You know, because I don't believe that you pray for someone and absolutely nothing can happen. There's always something happening because God's always moving. You just got to find where he's moving. So we were just pursuing God and, and we decided, okay, we're going to pray one more time. We're going to pray one more time. So we started praying. Like we started praying for her for the fifth time and swear to God, this happened. We were praying for her. I shouldn't swear to God, but this, this happened. <laughs> Sorry. We were, we were praying for her and the fifth time and the tumor started vibrating. Like you could full blown see it because she hadn't taken a, put her top back on. It was there and you could see it. It was like, it was vibrating. I mean, like sh- she wasn't shaking, but the tumor was shaking. And we were like, God's doing something quick. Let's like, we just like a few people came around and we like, we're just like, praying in tongues over her, like just blasting her because we're like, okay, God, like this is it, this is it, this is it. And then it just dissolved, it vanished. A tumor that size just vanished like that. Like how cool is that? I mean, like how good is God? How good is God? The thing is, this lady, I reckon she was probably about 90 years old. She didn't have, I don't wanna say that she didn't have much longer left, but she's very well-aged, you know, like getting on in life. And God still cares so much to see her fully healed, fully free, fully well. This too much dissolved. I mean, like you can't unsee that. I will never not see that ever in my mind. <laughs> I saw everything and I will never not see that. <laughs> but I will never not see that tumor dissolve again. There were so many more stories like that. But the coolest thing, about that story and why I'm sharing it with you guys is that what happened after that? 
what happened after seeing the miracle, it still makes me cry now because there's this lady, she wasn't a Christian. She wasn't a Christian. The, the main religion in Haiti is Voodooism mixed with Catholicism. It's a very dark place. And this lady who we knew wasn't a Christian, she starts jumping up and down and saying, Jesus healed me, Jesus healed me, Jesus healed me. And not only that, but she started walking around the whole rotunda saying, come over here, Jesus is here, Jesus is healing, Jesus healed my breast, Jesus removed the tumour. We have a video of her running around like a headless chook, just screaming out, Jesus. She was saying, Jesu, Jesu. And I don't know the other words she was saying, but she was saying, Jesus healed me. And she created this atmosphere. It, it was one of the first miracles that we saw like in that little segment, me and the team that I was with when we were praying. It was one of the very first ones. And she called so many people over and every person we prayed for after that got healed. Every person we prayed for after that got healed. And she stood there the whole time screaming, Jesus healed me, Jesus healed me. You see, all it takes is one little thing. To us, it, it was really big because it's a tumor, you know. To her, she just has a lump on her breast. And Jesus took care of the little lump. And, and she says, Jesus healed me, Jesus healed me. And it creates this atmosphere and it built this faith in the people around her. I can't tell you the look in the people's eyes when they saw the tumor dissolve on her breast. Everyone went nuts. It created such a faith in the people there that they, they almost could have just, like we could have not prayed for anyone and they all would have been healed. They believed Jesus healed that much. You know, after that we saw there was a lady that, had, that needed cataract surgery, opened up, could see out of her eye. There was three people that we prayed for had that one leg shorter than the other. We watched their legs grow out. People with back pain, people with ulcers, you name it, we saw it that day but I'll never forget that one lady. I don't really remember many details of the other miracles, but I'll never forget her screaming, Jesus healed me. And that, that passion, to think that she doesn't even have a relationship with him, but that passion, the look in her eye, moved me because she got it. She got it. She, she grasped hold of it without having any background, without having any understanding, she got the one thing. And it's what that lady had as well. She got the same thing, I believe it, she got the same thing that that lady had in the Bible, in Mark chapter five. If I can just get one touch of Jesus, if I can just get one touch of him, if I can just experience him, I know that I'll be changed. And she was, and a tumor dissolved. And that's the same thing that we have access for in our lives right now. Because I've got, I've got impossible situations in my life right now that I'm like, but God, but God, but God, but God said this, but God is good, but God is faithful, but God is true, but his word is true. He is my provider, but God. And that is the one thing that I want you guys to get today. Look beyond the miracles. Look beyond the deliverance. Look beyond the raising of the dead. Just get that one thing. Just hold on to that and grasp that. Because I guarantee you, the situations that seem impossible, and the situations that seem like there's no hope, they will bend. They will bend because of but God. They really will. I promise you that. I've seen it in my own life. I've seen it in people's lives around me. 
they will bend because of my God and because of Jesus. Because he loves us. Because he chose to die so that we could be in freedom. It's as simple as that. But God. It's the one thing. But God. There are so many other things that fall into that. But just grasp but God. Because there is nothing that can stand against that. There is nothing that can stand against that.